0: Give it a shot. The Alexandria Times encourages all residents ages 12 and up to get the COVID-19 vaccine and COVID-19 vaccine booster to protect yourself and your community. Boosters are now available for residents 18 and older. Visit the City of Alexandria's website at alexandriava.gov vaccines to set up an appointment now. Hello, welcome to Speak Easy, the Alexandria Times podcast. My name is Olivia Anderson, and I'm a reporter here at the Times. Um, And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Audrey Davis, who is the director of the Alexandria Black History Museum and a very integral voice and influence here in the community. Audrey, thank you so much for being here today. We are very excited to have you on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's very nice (laughs) to be invited.
0: So, yeah, let's start at the very beginning because I know your um, interest in museums began at a very early age. So can you tell me kind of how that happened and just where you're from in general?
1: Sure. I'm a a D.C. native, uh, born and bred in, in Washington, D.C., and I began my interest in museums at a very early age through both of my parents who were educators and who loved history and historic sites. So they took me to museums and Not only just on vacation, but because we lived in D.C., there was a wealth of museums to visit. So I had a great opportunity to to do that. And I actually uh, was so influenced by museums, I started creating little museums in my room and would charge my parents admission to come in and see my artifacts. And I would give them a tour. And then later, my mother found a great paid internship with the Smithsonian Museum. Uh, in their uh, natural history museum in the education department. And that was a terrific experience that I, I loved. It was a paid experience, which was really rare at that time, but it also provided great experience. And I was um, able to do that for a couple of years. So, uh, and then that led to other museum internships and to eventually to where I am today.
0: I actually now that you mentioned that. I want to ask really quickly, what kind of artifacts did you have at your <clears throat> museum <in> your room? <laughs> Well, it was funny because I
1: was, I, I had a variety of, of, of artifacts. I remember taking a lot of my toys, and like I would use have a doll and say, you know, that this was this was a doll that was three hundred years old, and that you know it was a very rare artifact, and and I want my parents to pay attention to it. And then I not think, what else I did? I had um, like little pieces of jewelry that were important jewels that were found. I was very fascinated by um, Pompeii. And I was in archaeology, so I was very fascinated by that. So anything I could do to like, this was recently uncovered and this is amazing. And, uh, so I was very, very, just very fascinated by those type of things. So, uh, my parents said it was funny because their, the exhibits would actually change. I don't remember changing. I remember them coming in, but I would actually have, like, I have a new show this week and you can, you're welcome to come and visit that. So, uh, so they said it was a lot of fun because it was, they got to see the creativity and they got to see that they were really having an influence on me with oh, what I would see. Yeah, what I would take in. And I remember at night my dad would read you know, we get a catalog from a show or if it was some part of history that he was really interested in. We didn't so much do, you know, fiction stories that were fiction, but we read about history and you know he would say well this is super fascinating you're going to really love this or this is really interesting and while he would tell me stories that he made up too I thought I really love the history stories yeah and I made it so as a kid I didn't I didn't read history when I was in school math yes but but history no. that's fair <laughs> yeah still not great in math but, uh, but I love history so yeah
0: and and there's a family legacy there too right I know that kind of there's there's some history there.
1: Yeah, there, uh, well, a lot of people in my family are in the arts, uh, either through museum, I have a, a cousin, my late cousin Louise Stone, who is an art historian, uh, my cousin Tulani Davis, who is a writer, um, she's a, she's worked on screenplays, she's worked with different movies, my cousin Charles Stone is a filmmaker who's, um, done several well-known movies, and my, Cousin Anthony Davis, who is a jazz pianist, who won the Pulitzer Prize last May for his opera on the Central Park Five. So there's a, and including my grandfather, who wrote the first um, African American textbook on um, on African American literature. So really, it goes back very far. and, And funnily enough, my cousin over Thanksgiving Thanksgiving sent me an article from the New York Times in 1927. That was an article about my grandfather being accepted as the first Phi Beta Kappa at Columbia University and it was funny though because he he was very fair-skinned you wouldn't necessarily know he was he was African-American and the person who sent my cousin the article who coincidentally lives in my apartment building and I didn't know it uh, said that my grandfather told him the story of how Disappoint. he was excited about being elected the first Phi Beta Kappa who was African-American but when the photographer from the Times came out he refused to take a picture of my grandfather because he said he wasn't dark enough and that nobody would believe that he was African-American and so he didn't they didn't include a picture with the with the article in the Times so you know another kind of I mean there's there's a lot of discrimination against African-Americans but it's just sort of like he was being who he was he wasn't trying to be anything else he was not trying to pass for white but they wouldn't they wouldn't take his photograph so it's like
0: literally it's nothing he has control over
1: right yeah it's like nothing nothing he has control over and it, you know he grew up in in virginia in the south and uh yeah it's just uh it's just it's difficult I, and it, it to me it sort of tells more of the stories that I try to tell in Alexandria of the African American community and the different different troubles they face, the different difficulties, but also the the really great successes that that happened that were really positive for the community.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about um you know how you did end up because I know you had many internships and things along the way, but you are currently at the Black History Museum. so how did that come about?
1: Uh, I've been at the Black History Museum now almost 30 years. I started in June of 1993, and I had just gotten out of grad school in 1991. I had moved from Charlottesville back to D.C., and I was working a lot of little jobs in museums. I worked for a couple of years as a contract worker for the Experimental Gallery uh, that was held in the Arts and Industries Building of the Smithsonian, really cool uh, space that was used for experimental museum programming, which was interesting. And then after that, I went for a part-time job to Mount Vernon to be a tour guide. And there I met uh, Gladys Tansel, who was the first African-American guide at Mount Vernon. Uh, she has long roots in Alexandria, and she was actually a member of the Alexandria Society for the Preservation of Black Heritage, which was the board for the museum. And they were looking for a part-time curator and she knew I was looking for a job, and she recommended me to the director, who was then Eugene Thompson, and then I applied for the job, had an interview, and was uh, accepted, and little did I know that it would lead to a 30-year 30, 30 career here in the city of Alexandria. I'm the director of the Alexandria Black History Museum. Our department is going through a reorg, and we hope to de- uh, my goal and my push has been for the last few years for a division of African-American history in our museum system. So I'm looking forward to trying to spearhead that and to make that a reality for our yeah. art. So something I, I really look forward to.
0: What are the origins of that and how is it coming along so far? Like how far along are you in the process? Well, I mean, I think we're
1: getting sort of towards the actual structural part of the process and how that will work with our employees and how we will look at hiring in the future because we're we're looking at our our sites holistically and we have a number of african-american sites now here in alexandria under the office of historic alexandria so you have the black history museum you have the watson reading room which is adjacent to us you have the alexandria african american heritage park Uh, You have the fact that we acquired Freedom House Museum at the height of the pandemic in March of 2020. So we look forward to opening that in the spring of 2022. Uh, So you have that. You also have Friedman Cemetery, which we manage with uh, the Alexandria uh, Department of Recreation and Cultural Activities. So definitely there are a number of sites that talk about our African-American history, that interpret our African-American history, and it will be a great way to unite them and also to make sure that we infuse our whole department within the Office of Historic Alexandria uh, to interpret African-American history and history of other cultures and ethnicities (laughs) here in Alexandria because we are a diverse community with many stories to tell.
0: Be a sponsor of Speakeasy in 2022. The Alexandria Times is currently scheduling sponsorships for our monthly podcast. We offer pre-roll, mid-roll, and full sponsorship opportunities. Support local news and get more exposure for your business at the same time. For more information, contact Margaret Stevens at mstevens at alextimes.com. As you mentioned, you've been there since... Nineteen ninety-three, yeah. which is a huge bank of knowledge, and so uh, I just I'm curious what kinds of things you've seen change and evolve over the years.
1: I think well, definitely a lot. I mean, and I think it's it's interesting in our department because we don't have huge turnover. So I've been fortunate to work with a lot of my colleagues for many many years. Uh, so that's been wonderful because most of us have uh, at the senior level have been here. Uh, 30 years and and over. And so that's been wonderful that we, but we're also bringing in new people. And I think that that's interesting. So we have the institutional knowledge, but then we have new people coming in that will bring us fresh ideas. And I think that's exciting, but I've seen definitely a lot of change within the, the, I guess the, the recognition of the importance of African-American history in Alexandria. And of course, never more so than after May uh, 25th of 2020 with the death of George Floyd. And I think one of uh, my big changes is that my uh, I work with my director, Gretchen Bolova, uh, with the Alexandria Community Remembrance Project. And it's really, it's on our website as our social justice initiative, but it is managed uh, by the Office of Historic Alexandria. And it's bringing forward our lynching history, and our history of racial terror hate crime in Alexandria with the two men who were lynched here uh, in the late 19th century, Joseph McCoy on April 23rd, 1897, and Benjamin Thomas on August 8th, uh, 1899. So I'm really proud of the fact that we have had markers installed at the lynching sites. We have very active committees that are working to make sure the city understands the importance of these stories and how it affected the African American community we have remembrances uh, every year on the anniversary of the men's um, of the date that the men died uh we've illuminated city hall so that the whole city is aware uh of what has happened on those dates and we are working with the equal justice initiative to get our pillar from them that will be installed in a prominent place in alexandria to discuss the lynching history and make sure that Alexandrians always remember this terrible part and time in our history, Mm. and make sure that nothing like that ever occurs again.
0: Yeah. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to remember it, as opposed to you know kind of gloss over it? I guess, or like, why is that something that we need to um, really prioritize?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely, when I first came, I was aware from the previous from the first director. That I worked under that these two lynchings had occurred, but you were not seeing much information about it, or uh, there wasn't a sort of a big push to really uncover more about this information. And it really, with I think it really took Brian Stevenson's work for all of these communities to not just say, okay, this was a footnote in our history, right. acknowledging mm-hmm. it, but to say it's much, much more, and to really look at how it changes a community changes the people who live there who are impacted by it. Uh either for African American families, you're leaving because you are scared that something like that would happen to your family. Uh, or if you're the family of one of the victims, you're leaving because you are you are traumatized right and terrorized by what happened. But it also it leaches in the community into many different ways. And it's always that fear of horrible Punishment or retribution for even the smallest infraction. So you're taking a voice away from a community, and that's why it's important to understand racial terror, hate crimes, racial intimidation, uh, hate crimes in general, because they're a way of silencing a people. Uh, so you see it with the Me Too movement and how women were silenced. You're seeing it after the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, uh, and all of these, all of all of what's happening. So you make sure that everyone in a diverse community has an equal voice and then everyone is respected. And right. so that's why I think it's important to remember any kind of incident like this.
0: Yeah. There are steps being taken to remember and to try to create a, a better future. And, and one of those ways is uh, there is Black History Month in February, and I know you've, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Um, Cause we've talked about in the past how, you know, that's that's one step, but it's not everything.
1: Right. I'm, I'm part of a group called Virginia Africana and I've worked with them for many years and been their, their president. And it's funny because we're, all of our, our members were from different parts of the museum community. Some are in museums, some are at historic sites, some are independent historians, the so different members. But one of the things we all agree on, and we definitely have a diverse a number of opinions, is that we're, we are more than February and more than Black History Month, the shortest month in the calendar year. Uh, we That history just needs to be infused throughout the whole American narrative. And while Black History Month is nice, it's also you can't squeeze it all into that one month. I mean, it, it drives us crazy when we're trying to we're not only doing programming, but then we're asked to do programming other places. And then we see fantastic programming and we can't participate ourselves in that. And that, you know, if these programs are spread out or worked into the narrative of your community, and of the group that you're with, you can make them part of your story year round. It doesn't have to be a scramble to find a speaker in February. Yeah. And I think really people need to work on making sure the history of the people in their community, Native American people, Hispanic people, Asian people are all included in their stories. I mean, cause they're stories that we all need to hear and learn. And that's what I like about being in a museum because you're always learning something new
0: too. Right. Yeah, Yeah. year round, not just year round. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: every day that we we hear a different community story or a different connection between groups or we we've been uh, doing oral histories with some of our uh, immigrant communities in the past. And so hearing those stories or how did you come to Alexandria? Why did you decide to settle here as opposed to any other place? Was it family or uh, was it the first place you chose, or was it a you know a, a real effort to come here to Virginia because you saw something here that that you you liked and that you thought would be great for your family? So it's interesting to hear these stories because everyone's unique.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to ask. I mean, is there one that's more common than the other, or are they is it pretty split down the middle? What their reasons? Are?
1: I think pretty split down the middle. I mean, I think they're all they're they're all very different. And then also with the African American community, hearing their stories or stories that I. I didn't know, uh, about members in the community. Uh, a lot of our, our early Afri- uh, African American oral histories were done by our former city archaeologist, Pam Pressey. And there's some really interesting stories, or even my, um, former curator, Lilligan Patterson, who is in her nineties and still works with us. Uh, and she as an Alexandria native and hearing the stories about her growing up in this area and, uh, about stories about her parents and, uh, different African American businesses she went to. I mean, it's, it's really a learning opportunity. So I'd love to, uh, I love to quiz all of my volunteers when we're, when we're open and when we, we have volunteers to just learn about their background and learn about, you know, are you a native to Alexandria or are you coming from Maryland, but you found out about our museum and you like Black history and especially now, um, you know, also too, since the death of George Floyd, when we started our uh, Black Lives Remembered collection too, that has been really uh, informative um, to me to see how different communities in Alexandria uh, honored racial justice and honored the Black Lives Matter movement, held vigils. People have sent in photographs, poems, uh, three-dimensional objects. I mean, things that really meant something to them that came, that touched their heart in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. So that's been exciting too and making a lot of that available on our website so that the community can see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that and how, I mean, I was, you know, obviously how that came about, but kind of the impact that you've seen and the the reception.
1: Yeah, it's been very well received. Um, we've had people asked to use our images for projects that they're doing, but it also informed us. I mean, our staff here, what was going we couldn't be everywhere i remember being at one of the very early vigils uh that was held uh in the street in front of the museum and i remember being there for that but i wasn't at every event and seeing how people honored george floyd how people uh became allies it was really really very important to us to see that and to see how our community came together also at the same time before we started um, the black lives remembered Collection, we had started collect our collecting COVID collecting initiative to see how the silly, the city, um, honored its, uh, you know, its public, um, public workers, our essential workers. And so it was very interesting to see what was done in the early days of the pandemic and, and how we survived and what we were doing and who were the businesses who were making masks when people couldn't find them, who who were providing meals for, essential workers and supplies or like our museum we had uh a lot of n95 masks that we used and so we were we donate we're able to donate a hundred of them to um public workers here uh, in the city when it was very hard for them to get them so i'm really proud of our site for that and you know helping the community when we had the opportunity uh to and i'm also proud of how our community came together and you know with covid and uh also uh, in remembering those who were lost to racial terror hate. So it's been definitely been an eye opening experience and uh, sad that it had to happen in both of these cases, but I think very moving and it's going to be a lasting legacy for our city to have this record of this period of time so generations can look back on this.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I think uh, one of the other Uh, big things that I lobbied for for many, many years was the preservation of Freedom House because it was such an important part of the story of the domestic slave trade. And I remember even speaking about it very early on at a Hark retreat and talking about uh, for the Historic Alexandria Resources Commission, or or Hark, about how this site could be lost if we don't pay attention to its preservation needs and the support um, of the Northern Virginia Urban League. And we entered into a partnership with them or collaboration in 2018 and we managed the museum and it's been a great partnership that has helped this building be preserved and also continue their relationship with the Northern Virginia Urban League who'll be in residence in the building, but also to tell the story of the domestic slave trade in America where we're really one of the ground zero sites um, for the domestic slave trade in the United States. So I think When we open that exhibit, the temporary exhibit that will open in the spring of 2022, it'll be told through a voice and a lens of the African-Americans who were trafficked through that building and what happened to them. Of course, you'll learn about the dealers and how they applied their trade and how they became successful at the trade. But our primary goal was to make sure that the African-American voice and their journey was primary throughout this exhibit. So. Uh, there'll be a lot more great things to come with that building and the interpretation of that story. So uh, I think we're we're really proud of um, what's going to happen in the future for that site.
0: Well, that was kind of one of my next questions is, um, you know, future plans for the Black History Museum and things that residents can look forward to.
1: Well, currently we're not open, but we still are doing programming. We did a lot of programming last year virtually so we will continue to do that uh coming up on december 11th we have and you can find it on our website our annual kwanzaa how-to program so you can learn everything you need to know about celebrating kwanzaa uh if you're a novice it'll be great for you for basics but if you know how to celebrate it there'll be some great ideas for uh, cooking and crafts that you can do with your family so we'll have that and then we'll segue into january and our mlk remembrances and so we'll have virtual programming for that. And then we'll go, of course, into February and Black History Month. So you'll see a lot of programming coming up for the museum for Black History Month, as well as for the Alexandria Community Remembrance Project, because I I book um, most of the speakers for that uh, project as well. So mm-hmm. we'll have a great rosters of, of speakers and we'll have a concert. And so a lot of things that will be coming up that I think uh, the uh, your audience will hopefully be encouraged to join us for. In the last few years, we've done uh, a concert with the um, Washington Revels Jubilee Voices, and they interpret traditional African-American music. So we're hoping we will have them in February virtually, and then, depending on how things go with COVID, uh, have an in-person concert in June for Juneteenth. So looking forward to that as well.
0: History museums in general, like, what is your fascination with them and why do you find them you know important?
1: It's funny because I was uh, trained in art history and was tra- training to be an art historian and found this job first and uh, really became interested over the years in history museums and I, I love history museums because they really are the especially the smaller ones we really are the soul of a community and so whenever I travel I like to go to the African-American History Museum for that state or that county, and just you learn a lot. I mean, I love the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and I encourage everybody to visit there if you haven't. It's really fantastic. But it's telling the larger story, the national story, the bigger picture stories, but it's our smaller museums that unite us in our community and show us the struggles of people in that community and can go into depth in a way that sometimes the National Museum can't and so I think it's wonderful that we both work together to tell a story of a community and I I think it's important and that's why I love history museums and you learn so much everything from food ways to um, you know about urban renewal I mean there's so many subject matter so much subject matter uh civil war history uh world war ii history I mean it everything is encompassed in sort of our museum and the stories we tell in the different exhibitions that we tell. So, uh, and certainly one of my favorites is always the show that we try to do, uh, that we were doing, uh, um, every few years, uh, about, um, our African American dollhouse makers. Two of our volunteers, Sharon Frazier and Linwood Smith, create these amazing dollhouses based on African American buildings in Alexandria. And so we, We're hoping to show them again and then COVID hit, but we, they're always some of our most popular shows. So I do plan to bring them back. So hopefully our audience will be able to, to enjoy them again. I think it's really fantastic.
0: That is so creative.
1: It is. They are really, and there's a wonderful film by a filmmaker called Robin Hamilton called Our Alexandria. And you can find it on Robin Hamilton's uh, website. She's a local uh, DC filmmaker and it talks about them through the lens of civil rights in Alexandria, it's a short film. You can purchase it for about $5. And, but it's a really, really interesting story. And it, uh Sharon and Linwood are a large part of that story and how they came to create some of their creations. So uh, <laughs> definitely work, a, worth a viewing. So
0: yeah, we have so yeah. many
1: talented people in Alexandria,
0: but probably very interesting going from, you know, local museums and then to national and are there are there some like common threads that you've seen among all of them
1: oh yeah absolutely i mean just uh well i think for us probably the greatest connection to the national museum of african-american history and culture is probably their civil war history uh, and the history of slavery and one of uh there's a picture we have in our gallery right now of women and it's the image is called slaves at volusia which is an area here in alexandria and it's uh it's a picture that we used as the lead-in image for our exhibit on our contraband exhibition or talking about contraband or escaped slaves uh during the civil war and they use that same picture very blown up on the lower level of the museum to tell help tell that same story and so i think it's interesting that you can see they're telling the, the story of freedom. And as you're experiencing that, you, uh, that exhibit, you're understanding how people became, how African-Americans were enslaved or how, how Africans were enslaved, how an African-American community was built here uh, in our country, in the United States and how they struggled. And I think you can see that struggle in that story that they tell, but you can also see the story in the struggle and, and their struggle in the story we tell in our museum. But they're different perspectives, but they're still united in the same core belief that African-Americans helped to build this country and to make it as great as it is. And we want to make sure that everyone's aware of this amazing history.
0: Right. Obviously, we end the, the, every podcast with a question from the previous guest. Um, and uh, visit Alexandria's CEO, Patricia Washington, at the end of the last episode, ask the question. Um, when you have family or friends coming to visit from out of town, where is your favorite place to take them in Alexandria? So I'm curious to hear what your answer would be to this one. Well,
1: actually, I wanted to name two places that, uh, well, um, uh, a place that I haven't had a chance to to go to yet, uh, but I really want to, that I think would be fun. And it was right before the pandemic hit, I was part of a program uh, with Visit Alexandria, Patricia Washington, uh, that had the owner of Goodies Frozen Treats and that business, it's an African American owned business that does frozen custard and it is housed in a building on Commerce Street that is my favorite building in Alexandria. It's an old ice house. And so I can't think of a better, a better location for a frozen treat shop to be in an old ice house. So not only is it a great building, but his food, I mean, his treats look amazing. And I always wanted to go there and I didn't get a chance to go. And so that's one of my goals is to do that um, now. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to doing that. So I want to bring some friends over this winter to do some shopping in Alexandria. It used to be a tradition that we had before the pandemic. So this year, I think we'll do it again. And so that's one of our stops that I'd like to like to make. Uh, I also think it's great if people can take a black history tour through Manu mission tours or to discover uh, any black owned business in Alexandria. And if you go on visit Alexandria's website, uh, you'll find a list of, I think it's like 25 black owned businesses in Alexandria. So everything from bookstores to, to hair salons, to restaurants. And, but I think, um, goodies, frozen treats, manumission tours, and probably, uh, I love bookstores, so I'd say Harambee Books and Artworks over on Prince Street would be uh, some favorite choices. And also, of course, when we're open, the Black History Museum.
0: Right. So
1: definitely <laughs> definitely take people there, or the African American Heritage Park, which you can visit now, and plenty of room for social distancing, and you learn a lot about African American history in Alexandria.
0: Right. It's, I feel like there's an opportunity to learn about history around every corner in Alexandria. There is,
1: absolutely. And our department has been very uh, diligent in this last year about uh, increasing our signage. So there's new signage about the Parker Gray School. Um, there's uh, new signage by the Edmondson Sisters Sculpture off of the, on Duke Street. So just looking around while you're walking, I'm sure that you'll uncover oh. some new signs that our department has had installed to inform you about our, our, great history in Alexandria. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. And then lastly, um, we end, as I said, every episode with you asking a question for the next guest. So,
1: <laughs> so okay. My question would be, uh, well, as I was saying earlier that on December 11th, we're going to have our, uh, Kwanzaa workshop and, you know, t- Kwanzaa is about uh, sharing family history. It's a celebration. And actually, before our Kwanzaa workshop, Lillian Patterson, who I spoke of, will be doing storytelling. So my question would be, what? Uh, and she does storytelling for uh, a younger audience. So what would be either your favorite uh, tradition in your family for the holidays, or what is your favorite childhood story? Uh, and is it a story that relates to history? So either one of those would be my my oh, ask no. of the next person. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you again for being here. Um, it's been really, really awesome to talk to you. Oh, thanks, Olivia. Thank you
1: for having me. This has been great.